One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In this episode of The Bell Tale, Putin, Russia, and Ukraine. Vladimir Putin had made his feelings on Ukraine clear. But on the 24th of February, his bluster turned to bloodshed. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has launched a major military operation against Ukraine. Loud explosions have been now heard in Ukraine in lots of different cities as the Russian assault has begun. Putin's army rolled across the Ukrainian border in what he called a special operation. This is not a special operation. This is civilians. They've been shot in the head with a tight hands behind their back. This is a genocide of the Ukrainian population. Across Ukraine, Russians have been accused of targeting civilians and their property, a clear war crime. For most of the world, Putin was now a dictator who had launched a war of aggression on his neighbor. I call it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. How can you deal with a crocodile uh, when it's in the middle of eating your left leg? Uh, and, and that is what Putin is doing. He is a war criminal. This guy is brutal. What's Putin thinking? With some answers to that question, we have Matteo Bagnoli, who spent six years living in Moscow as bureau chief for Italian news agency ANSA. Matteo, welcome and thank you for making the time for us. Can I ask, first of all, were you surprised by the Russian invasion of Ukraine? I was surprised, probably as everybody else, just because it, it didn't make any sense. I mean, from a rational point of view, uh, it is really not in the interest of Russia. I thought that at some point we could, uh, it could explode into a minor, uh, a minor war, perhaps a, a new uh, push in the Donbass, maybe some kind of uh, high raids just to keep up the tension very, very high and to force the West and Ukraine into uh, more robust negotiations because, frankly speaking, um, the Minsk agreement, the Minsk process was dead. The complete process of the peace agreements, the, the, the peace process, the Minsk accords and all of that was exhausted. So something was about to happen. Something must happen to... Uh, resolve that particular issue. But a fallout war, no. The Russian army has lost almost an entire battalion in Donetsk, 50 vehicles and possibly a thousand troops. Yeah, so in terms of Kharkiv, I mean, the battle is effectively over and Ukraine has won and it's further evidence that the Russian military really are going to struggle. Are you surprised about the relatively poor performance of the Russian military. I know you're not a military expert, but it's something which is surprising a lot of people, perhaps. Yeah, that, that is a surprise within a surprise. Uh, frankly speaking, 
Russia has uh, uh, performed well in Syria with all the atrocities attached, bear in mind. But uh, the consensus, the general consensus was that uh, Russia was was ready for a, a new kind of uh, active militarism uh, around the around the world. Ukraine was the real the real deal, the real show. You know, this is where this is where we flex the muscle and we show the world that we are back. But is not going according to plan, not at all. And why? Well, corruption is big factor in that, and probably poor planning, poor planning because of um, you know poor intel. And this delusion that probably uh, the east of Ukraine would rise and and, and embrace the uh, the Russian uh, soldier as liberators didn't happen, and it wasn't going to happen for, for the simple reason that Ukraine has changed from uh, well since 2014. And uh, it was true uh, that Ukraine was divided around the line of the Dnieper. I mean, a, a more kind of Russo-Russia-leaning east and a more nationalist west. But the war that started in 2014 has changed that. And uh, within the West, probably, and Russia as well, we didn't, nobody really fully grasped how the, uh, the society in Ukraine has changed. Some in Ireland, uh, Mattia, particularly on the hard, hard left, sympathise strongly with the Russian cause. They blame NATO squarely for the, the conflict. What's your assessment of that? This is a very contested issue. Um, NATO and the West bear some responsibilities. From a purely military point of view, uh, Bucharest, uh, 2008, the summit where um, the U.S., basically the, the, the last days of the Bush administration, the U.S. Uh, pushed hard and, uh, and declared that Ukraine and, and Georgia two of the most closed borderlands of Russia uh, were kind of invited to be part of, of, of NATO. Ukraine and the NATO alliance have built a strong partnership. Ukraine is the only non-NATO nation supporting every NATO mission. Ukraine now seeks to deepen its cooperation with the NATO alliance through a membership action plan. And the United States strongly supports your request. Now, that was a, a, a no-go for Russia, completely a no-go for Russia. And when I say that it, that it was a mistake, it is not because uh, we shouldn't have um, provoked Russia. The point is, when you make an overture like that, you need to be ready, you need to go forward. And the, the reality is those countries back then, and up to an extent still now, are not ready for NATO. For the standard of democracy, rule of law, uh, economy, all of that, democracy, all of that, that is really is something to be to be ready for if you want to be part of the club. Now, we, we are seeing the problem that we have now with uh, Finland and Sweden uh, wanting, to be, wanting to be part of NATO, join NATO. Turkey has raised concern. 30 allies need to be on board for that. And they weren't on board for that in 2008. So the, what happened is that we uh, witnessed a half promise, a door was open, Russia was um, provoked, and those countries are not in NATO. So uh, the worst of, of both worlds, because they, they didn't get the protection they needed at that point, and, uh, and, uh, and Russia thought really that the scope for, 
for integration with the West was open. The window of opportunity of integration with the West and good terms with the West was uh, was closed. Secondly, it is true that when the, 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 the USSR uh, fall, the West gave some assurances that NATO wouldn't uh, expand uh, eastward. And I, and I stress the word some because it isn't entirely true what Russia is saying, that they were given ironclad promises of all of the, uh, the eastern flank. It wasn't like that. But some promises that NATO wouldn't expand to the east uh, were given. So from the point of view of Russia, that was a betrayal. But again, time changes. History goes forward. So, uh, you know, something that it was ready to, to be promised in 1991. And again, at that point, uh, we are talking about the uh, reunification of Germany. So when those assurances, assurances were given, nobody could foresee the fall of the Soviet uh, empire. So were, those assurances were limited in time and scope. Then obviously the unthinkable happened and then history moved forward and then everybody was in a new in a, in a new era. So again, this is our misconception, uh, misperceptions, half truth, and in the end, uh, Russia obviously wants to twist it, all of that, 30 years of history to his own, to his own cause, so to speak. And obviously, one of the issues is that Ukraine sees itself as a separate country to Russia. It sees itself as an independent country to Russia. It sees itself as a country going in a separate direction. But if you read Vladimir Putin's writings, listen to his speeches, he simply does not see Ukraine as a, an independent country or a culture from Russia, which has a le legitimate claim to self-determination. This is the sad part of the story because sets the story into uh, another dimension. I mean, there are two dimensions. There is reality, and then there is this kind of virtual world where Putin now lives. So he definitely set a course which is uh, uh, incompatible with modern standards. Um, so yes, it's true that uh, historic Russia, I mean, the land that were part of the Soviet empire, sorry, the Russian empire, before obviously the, the, the Soviet revolution, right October, included Ukraine and other parts of Eastern Europe and Crimea. Crimea, let's face it, was part of Russia for 300 years. I mean, Russia fought three wars for Crimea. It is basically the access of the high seas, um, warm seas in, in the south. So it is a key part of national Russia interest and strategic, strategic military um, purposes. So Crimea is a very contested issue because uh, Russia really sees that particular part of, of Ukraine as its own more than other parts of Ukraine. So uh, that I think there must be a debate on that. Um, also, we have to bear in mind that in, in, in Crimea, Russia has and still ha had and still has Sevastopol, uh, the key Navy base. That is something that was never going to, to be let go that easily. And again, this strategic concept was to be some, somehow foreseen and taken into account uh, within Kiev and also within the collective West. Because let's face it, there are some um, concerns of Russian security, for the Russian security point of view, that uh, are not completely alien. That said, that part of Ukraine being 
basically Russia and not having the right of uh, uh, independence or even his own culture as, in, as exists, let's say, uh, that is completely lunatic. And that, that is the part that is said because he shows us that the thinking right now in the Kremlin is way more extremist and way more detached uh, from reality that we thought it would. It's not just Putin by himself. We, we, we've reduced this to Putin's war, but there's a, there's a wider Russian nationalism at play here. We can see that on Russian television. Russian nationalism uh, is, is a weird beast because it is being fueled from the top. Uh, Russian nationalism is something that uh, Putin and the Kremlin uh, produced, manufactured from scratch in the last 10 years, in a way that it wasn't there in plain sight up until it was really mastered uh, like a demon. I mean, purely for, uh, for self-interest, because Russian nationalism became a really, really key feature of uh, Putinism, when uh, the economy uh, revolution, the, the economy boom uh, stalled. And that, again, is pr pretty much the same, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013. I mean, when Putin back, came back to power, the boom year really um, stalled. It was kind of a trade-off. I mean, the, the, uh, the good years in terms of uh, economy are over, but we, what are we going to reward with? Pride? A country that is back on its feet and we call the shots on a geopolitical level so we are back USSR is back and you can be proud as a Russian man again and that's something that worked worked so much and 2014 we saw that because Putin ratings skyrocketed when uh, uh, when uh, Crimea was the next back but also after 10 years of rampant uh, rampant uh, uh, propaganda it is now really seeded uh, within, um, I would say, probably the common man. I mean, Russians now do feel uh, patriotic and nationalism has been in, in, ingrained. And um, with the particular respect of uh, Ukraine, there is also this problem of a paternalistic view from the Russia. I mean, Ukraine was always being was always perceived as the minor partner in the coalition, the minor partner in the USSR, and the little brother that need to be kind of guided because otherwise it wouldn't stand of his own. Perhaps it's a silly question at this stage, but could he be persuaded to withdraw, or is he completely committed to this war now? We are getting mixed mixed info about that. I mean, some here in Brussels, they, they think that we, as a collective West, we underestimated the economic resilience of Russia and we overestimated the military capabilities. And that gives you a, a different challenge right now. The Russians can sustain um, losses and can sustain pain on a scale that the West simply doesn't understand. Uh, they do. They done that in the Second World War, although that was an invasion. So again, that gives another completely different story because obviously, when you have your country invaded, gives you another edge. And this is the story of Ukraine. Uh, but at the same time, it is true that uh, the Russian uh, can withstand economic hardship in a way that in the West we simply cannot. 
even imagine. So can he, can he be persuaded? It depends. It means that uh, now I think they really need to start thinking of an exit strategy because there is the possibility that uh, Kiev cannot be beaten on, on, on the military field. And so they need to have a, a, an exit strategy. And I think that uh, Putin's now realized that he miscalculated and now he has two main objectives. One is to save face. And so try to get uh, a deal in Ukraine, a kind of a military uh, win that he can sell. Uh, it, it doesn't need much because the propaganda and, and the media uh, and all of that work in his favor. So he can have something little and turn into something big. But I think that he needs something little to, to sell to his people. And the second point is not only to save face, but to save his, um, well, his neck. Because Russians really don't like losers. That's, that's, that's real. So, you know, uh, if he wants to keep staying in uh, a float, I mean, if he wants to stay afloat, he needs something at this moment. And Putin is a czar, but he's not this almighty god that we think in the West. He has to negotiate with the elite. He has to negotiate with, with his base, which is not a popular base, but it is also uh, kind of the people who are at the top with him in the Russian society. So it's not a so, dictatorship. It's not a dictatorship. No, 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 it is. It is. It is a dictatorship at the moment. It is. A, well, now it is even more. It is a totalitarian system, but it, it it's, has changed. I mean, the key of Putinism and Putin was the hybrid regime. And that was true from the inception to, well, I would say probably, yeah, 2012. Then, uh, then something changed within Putin's mind and the grasp for power needed to become uh, much more deep to retain power and to retain the privileges that the, uh, the new elite, the people who came with Putin, we are talking about a uh, hundred families basically who run for Russia, and then uh, they uh, grasped even more. I mean, it was really kind of a, a loot of the national resources. Uh, they redistributed a bit. So, you know, the Russians uh, have more money than they had uh, in the uh, early 2000s, in the early 90s. The, 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 the state was back on its feet after ca the chaos of the 90s, and he rebuilt basically the, the foundation of what it is perceived as a state in, uh, uh, in the West. So now Russia can be a state again. So that is the biggest achievement of Putin. But then within those 20 years of reign, uh, the, the directions changed, and then off they went, the, the, uh, the freedoms that the Russian got out of the fall of this union, the Soviet Union, and off they went all the uh, kind of uh, civil uh, uh, freedoms they also they, they had. So not only political, but, but, but uh, civil rights they had. So basically you have to bear in mind that uh, freedom is something uh, really fragile. And uh, this is why Putinism is so dangerous, because it is a branch of populism. And Putin very slowly took, uh, basically destroyed what it, what it was there, uh, a very young democracy, a very young liberal system, destroyed time and time and again, all of that. And in, in, the Russian got back stability, but they lost freedom. The hybrid regime was really, really uh, effective because only 10% of the people of, of a population really wants 100% of freedom. You know, 90% of the, the people are very happy with 90% of freedom. And that was Putin's system gave to them. 
the freedom to buy stuff, the freedom to, to go on vacation, the freedom to consume in the way that in the, the West uh, we did. But it was very, very, it was very brutal with those people that questioned the system itself. And now, with I mean, the last two, three years from 2018 onwards was really when dictatorship came to life in Russia. And now with the war, we are at, we are beyond that. We are a totalitarian regime because dictatorship wants to control the corpse of the people, let's say, I mean, the body of the people, but totalitarian system wants to control the mind. And now they are at that point. They want to control the mind of the Russians. Vladimir Putin's personality, his personal ambitions, I mean, is he making rational decisions? Rational decisions uh, can have um, a multiple layer of uh, weakness. It depends what your decisions are based on. And obviously, if your decisions are based on uh, poor intel, poor information, and, uh, and, and let's face it, Putin is a person who's now cocooned and uh, is, not, uh, is not a leader that, is, uh, that has real attachment with reality anymore. And he's been doing that for 20 years right now, more and counting. So uh, that happens to everybody when, when you stay at the top for too long. I mean, you are not a man of the people anymore. You are the czar. And in particular, in this in particular instance, I mean, in Russia and with Putin, you really are the czar. And, and, and so uh, rational decisions is a, a very misguided perception because it's simply wrong decision based on wrong information and on false assumptions. So this is the reality and this is what we are seeing right now. And how hard was it to work as a journalist in Moscow? How different was it? As a, as a foreign correspondent, you have a degree of protection. So you, you can fairly expect not to be beaten or killed uh, or I mean the worst case scenario is they just kick you out and finally Mattia Modelo Putin your book um, I, I travel in a, in a country we would do well to know that's my translation can we expect a version of your book in English oh, well I hope so uh, obviously uh, agents are working on it it, it has uh, received kind of a second life after Ukraine after the war in Ukraine um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll get an English translation and uh, basically is chartering the course of the hybrid regime to a dictatorship and then trying to tell what is real uh, life in Russia because it's not all bad. Uh, that, that's going to be another irony. I mean, Moscow is a global city. It used to be a fantastic city to live in. Uh, and uh, uh, the Russian people are... are, are very welcoming people and there is a whole country to be discovered. Mattia Bagnoli, thank you very much for your time. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. Clips from Sky News, the BBC, ITV, Times Radio, NBC and Russian state television. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 